I just love you and I praise you and I can't see what you wait to see what you do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. If you got a Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. To the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, I want to talk to us this morning about something. Some of you might get tickled. Help in time of need. Um, Sooner or later, all of us finds ourselves needing help because it's something that we can't deal with that only God can help us with. And I hope today as we look, I don't know how this is going to go. I hope it goes as good as the first one. But I just want us to take a moment to read the scriptures, to focus at a verse, and I want us to think about a few questions I'm going to ask us. But if you look with me here, when you get there, we're going to start reading in verse 12 of chapter 4. We're going to focus on that verse up there. The Bible says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is the verse I want us to focus on primarily. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to read that with me again and really focus on it and let God speak into our hearts. Let us therefore, because of what we've looked at previously, come boldly, one translation says confidently, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, today I just ask you for help to do something I can't do without you. And I pray you'll help me to preach your word in a way that it'll glorify your name and bless others and make a difference in their life. And Lord, we all are needy creatures. Sooner or later, we all have a time of need that is beyond our ability to help. And we thank you that we have you Today, I pray that each one of us will learn that we'll be more confident to come boldly, to be able to know how to access this great throne of grace and mercy that we might, Lord, even when we realize and don't even leave, know what to do, that you always are there to be a help for us. So, Father, we pray and ask you to be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we look at that in that verse, let us therefore... You know, we don't always realize how needy we are, how much help we need. I want to ask us a couple of questions this morning before we get started. What is our greatest need from God? If you was to think, what is the greatest thing I need? Well, you'd probably say, we all got different needs. But I'm talking as humanity in one big clump. All together, what does every human being need from God every day, every moment that we forget? Because if God's going to do things for us that we need him to do, I think sometimes we forget the first thing we need him to do is to not do 
something that we wouldn't want him to do. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I believe that the first thing we all need to understand is that every day, every moment, the first thing we all need from God is mercy. God, have mercy on me. Now, you know, I've preached a sermon about this before, but I was just preaching. But after this week, I got a little different seat on it. But when's the last time you truly fell on your face before God and said, God, have mercy on me. Help me, God. Knowing you don't deserve it because that's what mercy is. I want you to think about this. Some preacher, I don't know who said it. I've heard it a lot. Dennis Aaron says it all the time. I've read it before, but I've never thought about it much till lately. That mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Because I don't know about you, none of us deserve his help. None of us deserve him to even have anything to do with us when we really are honest about what we've really done with him. When we look at how we've treated God, it's hard to believe God treats us the way he does with mercy. But I don't know about you, I thank God he does. Because I'm sure glad I'm not getting what I deserve. How about you? But we forget, we get saved, we start doing good, but I don't care how good you're doing, you still got things you need mercy for. Because we all sin, we all fall short. We all have a sin nature that the weaknesses of that nature makes us do ungodly things. But if we're not careful, we forget. You see, before we can get grace, which is God giving us what we don't deserve, what we want, like for me this week, heal me, God, make this go away. Take away this pain. Sometimes we need to remember that we don't need God to do what we do deserve. And I want you to look at what it says in this verse. Let us therefore, and we're going to get back up to that, because of what we just looked at, So let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace. And the first thing it says that we may obtain mercy. When we come to God's throne of grace with our needs, according to that verse, the first thing you need to do is to obtain mercy if you expect to find grace to help. Why do we have to obtain mercy? Because we've all done things all the time, my friend. You may not realize this. That has offended God. We allow things in our life that we're, our worst enemy is ourself. Our self-inflicted wounds are usually what causes most of our needs. And friends, so what, I look at that and I realize that no matter how much better we may be doing, no matter how much more we might be walking with God, there's still always a part of us that fails God, that, that needs to be have of the mercies of God. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? And so... When I looked at this, I began to see, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you know, this week I got to a place where I began to just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Either kill me or fix me, but Lord, don't leave me like I am right now. Mercy. And friends, today as we begin to look, I come to an understanding this week, we don't have a clue how much mercy we really need. We don't realize because what we are is we're much more walking in our religion with God than we are in a real, true, genuine relationship with God. See, religion is pretty easy. You can go to church, do some good things, be a basically good person, say the name of Jesus a lot. But a relationship requires commitment. It requires sincerity. It It requires that 
You do what it takes to stay in communion and fellowship with God. And guys, there's something that's in our life we don't like to deal with called sin that always hinders and separates and offends and breaks your communion and your fellowship. And if you're not careful, you can be religious and think you're all right. But friends, when you want a relationship instead of just religion, when you want to really have Jesus in your life and you want to feel his hands of favor and you want to find the grace that only he can give to help you in time of need, sometimes you have to first start and obtain mercy. You have to realize, God, I know I'm a person who does things I don't do. You see, the reason most of us don't realize how much stuff is in our life that don't belong there, you realize that you're okay, you don't really need mercy, and you can't even remember the last time you felt a a, a reason to call for it, is because you're much more a product of religion than you are the Word of God in a relationship. And it's impossible to have a right relationship with God without the Word of God activated and active in your life. And friends, listen, the Word of God, if you'll give it its chance, when you... When you receive it, when you read it, when you, when you study it, friends, it's not like anything else you read. Because listen to what it says about itself in verse 12. For the word of God is living and it's powerful and that means it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at what it says. Pierce it even to the vision of our soul and spirit. It can divide even to the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of our thoughts And it even knows the intents of our hearts. Friends, when you get in the word of God all the time, your opinion and your feelings get stomped on real quick. Because it don't matter what your opinion is and how you feel about where you are with God. In fact, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And Jeremiah says, who can know it? You'll not know it. Your heart will tell you, oh, you're a good person. You're okay. But when the word of God begins to probe you, examine you, do you know what it does? It exposes you. And it doesn't just expose you to yourself. What it does is let you know that you have been exposed the whole time to God. Because listen, have you had the word of God cut you? Have you had it slice your soul and open you up? To where you realize, oh no, I'm exposed. Because it says that the word of God has laid us open to him, the word. God's the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. And and Jesus is the word. And look at what it says in that next verse. This is why you need mercy, folks. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. To whom we must give account. Friends, I don't know about you, but it's not based on what our religion tells us, what our opinion makes us think, or our feelings are. How we look to God is based on this book. And guys, the moment you begin to get in this book, and you let it begin to cut and probe and examine you and open you up and lay you out bare, you realize real quick, my ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts and his ways are higher than me, like heaven is higher than the earth. I am so far from who God is. And then you realize when you open the word of God and you're in a relationship that I'm accountable to him. He gave me life. He shed blood to save me. He bought me. He purchased me. At the cost of his suffering, his stripes, by his wounds, I was healed. And now I'm his. 
But you see, in religion, you can go to church as long as you look good to everybody else and you begin to think, well, I go do good things now. But in a relationship, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. What matters is on the inside. Am I right with God? And friends, the bad news is what I just showed you. None of us on our own stay right with God. We all need His help. We all must obtain mercy and we all must find grace and we all must sooner or later come to this throne where He sits, where He offers help in our time of need. Friends, look at this. This is the good news. Seeing then, after what I just told you about the Word of God and you're going to be accountable to God and you, 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 everything about you is not hidden and it's open. Let me show you how open it is. I just took a few verses and throwed them up here today and I'm going to read them to you right quick. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Think about that. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jeremiah 16, 17 says, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Luke 12, 2, Jesus said, For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. And then in the next verse, he says, Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And listen to this, Mr. Gossiper. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner room will one day be proclaimed from the housetop. You ever walked in on them people in that back room? They get off by themselves and they whisper in one another's ear. And when you walk in, they... Well, I hate to hear you. We might not... I hate to fool you. Uh, oh, not, I hate to let you know. You might have kept us from hearing it, but God heard every bit of it. <laughs> he even knew what made you tell it. And friends, listen, we're going to answer all that. Jesus said we're going to answer for every careless word. Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then he says in Romans 4.10, but why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't it amazing how other people's problems, they need mercy. <laughs> he needs grace. But I'm okay. You ever notice how we can kind of think, we can just come to church. Yeah, he needed to go to the altar. <laughs> he needs to be up there with the preacher praying. But I'm okay. I don't know if you figured this out yet. None of us are okay or we wouldn't need Jesus. None of us is ever perfect or we would be in heaven. <laughs> we're in a process and we're full of stuff. That we wish wasn't there, if we're honest, that we wish we could deal with it if we could, but we can't. So church won't fix it no more than it could fix it when you was lost, even saved. We need Jesus. We need His grace. We need His mercy. If we're going to obtain the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, and I don't know about you, we're much more needy than we like to see. But look at this. Even in our terrible condition, God loved us so much, he sent us Jesus. Now, we don't always like to think of Jesus as a priest, a high priest, but he's our high priest. That's why we don't need to preach. You don't need the preacher. We believe in the priesthood of the believer as Baptists because it's biblical. There's only one priest you've got to talk to, and his name is Jesus. He represents you. He loves you. He's the mediator for us. And friends, listen to what he says right here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, 
And how great is he? He's the one and only. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Friends, listen, when the Word of God opens you up and the Word of God shows you who you really are, sometimes it's hard to come to God. You think, oh man, I can't ask him to do this again, but it says hold your confession. Don't quit coming to God. In fact, it even says that because of this next verse, we do not sympathize, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We all got them. But was in all points tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Friends, listen. We do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses. You know why? He became one of us. Jesus took on flesh. He took on all of our weaknesses. And in one sense, Jesus is like all of us. He has endured incredible temptation, terrible hardship, unbelievable suffering. Yet, in another sense, he's like none of us. Because when he went through all of it, his weaknesses never caused him to sin. He never doubted God. He never let unbelief cause him to disobey God. He perfectly trusted without sin God. And he went through so he can sympathize. I learned this week about sympathy and sympathizing. I, got, I, I, I really can see now how Jesus, the importance of him going through what we went through. Even though he's God, he knows all things. But now he can say, I've been there. I suffered temptation. I went through the hardship of being one of them. I experienced all what they go through. See, I've been in the hospital lots and lots of times. People would call me during the week. That's out of state that I talked to. Where are you at? I'm in the hospital. Oh, who are you visiting? <laughs> I ain't visiting nobody. I'm in the hospital. You know, I've been at the hospital, and I've been there to pray for people, and I'm supposed to pray for people. I, when they took me out of that out of that 27 hour, however long it was, over a day ordeal of being in that little emergency room bed and was bringing me to a room, when they was rolling me down through that hospital and when you're going through there, you're just laying there and when you go by, everybody just looks at you with this look. I never knew what that look was. I've been like Diane walking behind that bed so many times with y'all, but I've never been there. Now, Jack, I can sympathize with you when you had a stroke. I thought about y'all. I thought about Miss Betty. I thought about everybody who's been sick. And you know what? I'll never walk behind that bed with another church member again the same. I prayed for you, but I never sympathized with you. I came to see you, but I never sympathized with you. But, oh, after this ordeal, I want to tell you, you have my sympathy when you're sick. I understand better what it's like. And Jesus understands us, but he ain't like us. Even though he felt and he went through what we have gone through, it didn't cause him to fail God. And because he never failed, now he can help us. Can I get an amen? That's our high priest. He's one of us, but he ain't us. He's been like us, but thank God he didn't become us. Now through him, we become him. Can I get an amen? And he represents us. Think about this. Our high priest who has passed through the heavens. Look at a couple of these verses with me. Turn to chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 24. Look at what it says about our high priest. 
Man, this is cool stuff. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus never dies. He never gets moved to another church. He never, ever changes. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is there for. You're weak. You fail. You are laid open with all your messes ups from all your weaknesses. But God's waiting there, the Son of God, to intercede for you, to mediate for you. And he's able to save you to the uttermost. Friends, look at verse, look at chapter 8, look at verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. Look where he's at. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle. Which the Lord erected and not man. You know where Jesus is at right now? He's in the Holy of Holies. Not the one that was in the temple down here that we built, which was a picture. It was an a, a, a example. He's in the true one. And you know where he's at? Turn with me to chapter um, 9. What does he do in there? He's interceding for us. We just looked. He's representing us. Look at verse 24. And I just picked these out to show you. But what the book of Hebrews is doing is showing the superiority the bigger benefit of Jesus over the religious sacrificial system of Judaism. And these guys was wanting to go back to Judaism. They were saying, why would you go back to Judaism and have a a man priest when you got the priest? Why would you go back to giving sacrifices when he gave the ultimate sacrifice? Why would you go back to religion when you can have a relationship where God himself is interceding and he's with you and brings your needs right to the presence of God? Because look what Jesus says in verse 24 of chapter 9. For Christ has not entered the holy places like churches made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Man, when you come to Jesus and say, Mercy, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. Show me your grace and favor. And you come to that throne of grace. Jesus is that, that throne And he's there to intercede for you. He's there to represent you in the presence of God. Friends, I don't know about y'all. And the fact that he can sympathize for us. He understands what it's like to be in our weakened condition because he once was. I don't know about you, but it gives me confidence to boldly come even when I realize I don't deserve it. Even when I see how bad I am compared to what I could be, that God loves me enough that he'll intercede and help us. Friends, listen. Mercy is one of the greatest things God does for us. It might be the greatest. Because I don't know about you, I am so glad that he's not giving me what I deserve, Brother Jack. And I'm so glad that he's willing, when I realize in humility, that I need your help to give me what I don't deserve, grace. Mercy and grace. I've never thought about it, but it's not grace and mercy. I don't believe it. I believe it's mercy and grace. And friends, you know what? When you look in the Bible, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, we'll begin to close here. Friends, mercy is what gets God's attention. Mercy is what God looks at when a person realizes his need for it and begins to bless them. Friends, I don't know about you, but old Skeeter sings this song. I, 
Aren't you glad that God lets things happen in our life that makes us aware, and not only aware, but even gets so broken that we're willing to say, Lord, have mercy? Skeeter sings this old song, Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Well, for me, it took diverticulitis. <laughs> but you know what? Nothing that bad happens in our life is to hurt us. God never wants to hurt us. God always wants to help us, but it's easy for us to let our religion and our self-centeredness and our focus on man instead of him get in the way of that and say, Lord, why'd you let this happen to me for? Why am I going to... The worst thing that could ever happen to us is to go to hell and we deserve it. (laughs) So anything he does, beloved, that is grace and mercy. And there's these two people I want us to look at that remind me of a lot of us Baptists, me included. It says in verse 9 of chapter 18 that Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were so righteous that they despised others who they didn't think was righteous. That's what he says in that verse. And then he gives us this little story. He says, two men went up to the temple. They went to church to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Jesus didn't belittle none of this. This is all good, righteous stuff. If he showed up here and started coming, we'd make him a deacon pretty quick. Amen? We like to beat up the Pharisees, but the fact of the matter is most of us is more like this Pharisee than we are this tax collector. We don't identify with him. The tax collector was despised by anybody who had godly morals and righteous values. The tax collector comes in. He's not standing up in front of everybody. He's off afar by himself. He don't even want to be seen by everybody else. He stands before God. He won't even look toward God. He doesn't think he deserves anything. He's ashamed to look at God. He beats his breast over what he is and where he's at, and he says something. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, Jesus says at the end of that story, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And you're never more proud when you think you're all right enough that you don't need mercy. You're never more proud when you think you're so righteous that you despise others. We are much more like this Pharisee. Let me give you a modern version, a little something to use this application. Let's look at them as a conservative Republican Baptist and a progressive liberal Democrat. You know, here we are, and I watch it and hear it all the time. I'm so glad I'm a conservative Republican. And I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I don't promote homosexuality. I'm against abortion. 
I'm for the sanctity of life. I believe in traditional marriage, and I support and promote traditional marriage. All those things are good. Them Democrats, we despise them. Just the other day, I heard someone in church, and I'm, if I'm, I'm, it got on me first, so I'm not getting on you. I can't believe that Nancy Pelosi hypocrite went to church and put them ashes on her head. What did she repent of? You know what? Nancy doesn't need us to despise her. She needs the same mercy me and you obtained. She needs the same grace we found. Nancy is religion, but them ashes ain't did her no good. She needs the blood. If she got a hold of Jesus and Jesus got a hold of her and the Word of God began to cut and the Word of God began to probe and the Word of God began to expose, she might have a change of opinion on same-sex marriage and abortion on demand. She might have a different other belief of values for our country. But she'll never have that happen to her as long as we, the saved, despise her and her kind. Guys, I despise the Democrat and what they stand for in their political agenda, but we got to love Democrats. They need mercy, just like we need mercy. And not all Democrats are in this boat. I'm not saying that. Because all conservatives ain't where they ought to be and think they are either. The only thing that will make us right with God is Jesus the first thing that gets you right with Jesus is when you say, Lord, I need mercy. Jesus said the man who cried out, who couldn't even look to God, who was so ashamed, he walked in church. Think about it. If Nancy Pelosi walked in most of our Baptist churches, what would we do? We would make her feel so unwelcome. <sighs> if, if she came here, I promise y'all, after this week, I'd say, I'm so glad you're here. Come sit by me and my wife. I would love her. I would treat her as best I could. Because that's what God does us. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, according to Jesus. And friends, listen, we, we, we look around our, and we say, look at them people. Look how they are. That's why we the way we are. There's only two kinds of people. Justified, saved, condemned, lost. And friends, listen, God is waiting to help anybody who will call on him. And I'm here to tell you, I believe when you get to the point that you're humbled enough to realize, I need mercy. Lord, help me. He hears our call. If you look over here, there's another story about this man named Blind Bartimaeus. It starts in verse 35 of the same chapter. Jesus is walking with a crowd following him one day. It reminds me of church. You know, we come here, the crowd's here. We all praising Jesus. Jesus, we singing. I am a child of God. We praise Him. We're doing all that stuff. And we, we're not ashamed to do what everybody else does. We look around. We, some of us are a little more radical than others. But most of us will never be accused of being a Jesus freak because a Jesus freak is somebody who loves Jesus more than you, it makes people think you're crazy. Someone told me a Jesus freak is anybody who loves Jesus more than you. <laughs> but, but in most Baptist churches, we, we're safe. Don't worry. You know, as long as they come here and they fit into the program, yeah, we, Jesus, we following him. Jesus, we on the Jesus boat. We in the boat. We claiming him. We praying. We singing all these songs. 
We're giving him praise, but let somebody get radical enough to say, oh, come here. Oh, damn mercy on me. Get desperate for God. Get to crying out. Get to slobbering and snotting on the preach show. Y'all all looking. Oh, Lord, what's, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him is he realized something you ought to realize. He needs God. He's serious. He's saying, Lord, I didn't just come to say, Jesus, son of David. I come to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I ain't come to fit in the crowd. I come to get your attention, Lord. I come to get your help. I've come to obtain mercy because I got to find some grace because I'm in a time of need. You ever been there? You won't care about being like all the rest of the Baptists because all the rest of the Baptists were honest, ain't had a touch of God's grace and mercy and anointing in a while. But friends, I want you to think about this. It says, then it happened in verse 35. It happened. This means this is real. As Jesus was coming near Jericho, that a certain old blind man, we know his name from the other translations, was Bartimaeus. He sat by the road begging. He couldn't do anything to help himself. He couldn't get up. He couldn't, he didn't even know who it was. And hearing the multitude passing by, he said, what is this? What's it mean? Look at verse 37. So they told him. That Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He had heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to notice something. He's been sitting there. He's blind his whole life. He didn't say, Jesus, son of David, fix my sight. Jesus, son of David, heal me. Make this pain go away. Lord, help me to not feel like that's what I was wanting to happen this week. You know, we all got things we're constantly wanting God to do for us that we don't deserve. But when's the last time we cried out for him not to do for us what we do deserve? And said, Lord, have mercy on me. Because here's this crowd. Everyone's coming. I can imagine in that crowd, there was lots of people saying, Jesus, son of David, God bless Hosanna in the height. They were all around him. But all of a sudden, this guy got radical. And so what happened is, they, they look at him in the next verse. <laughs> and they, those that went before him warned him and said, you, you be quiet. Calm down now. You know why? It's making them feel bad. But he didn't calm down. He got louder. He said it again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And look at the next verse. I love this. The moment he said it the second time, Jesus stood still. He's walking along the crowds all around him. Jesus stopped. Friends, do you know when this man cried for mercy, it stood the Son of God still? Jesus stopped. He stood still. Look at what it says. Man, this is so cool. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, what do you want me to do? Friends, I don't know about y'all, but of all them people in that crowd, there was a lot of needs there that day, I'm here to promise you. But which one got personal attention? Which one did Jesus say, bring him to me? The one who cried, have mercy on me. I want to ask you this morning, when's the last time you got honest and just fell on your face before God and said, Lord, have mercy on me. I know I need your help. You know, I I don't know what has been all of the experience of your life. I never experienced what I just experienced, and I don't want to ever experience again. It was pain beyond I knew that would exist. (laughs) 
And I know some of you said, well, you ought to have a baby. Well, people will have a baby and do it again. They'll get you some diverticulitis. You won't 18 months later say, you know, he's kind of cute. You want to have another one? It's like passing a kidney stone. One's enough. Amen. And if having a baby's any worse than what happened to me, Lord God bless y'all women. <laughs> have mercy on you. But I don't like things that happens to me that brings me to a place where I just say, Lord, have mercy on me. But you know what? This week, the greatest thing that happened to me wasn't that God took away my pain, healed my diverticulitis, that he opened my eyes again. He got my attention. (laughs) He helped me to see things about Marvin that I didn't see anymore, that I didn't want to admit anymore. Because, guys, it don't matter who we are or where we're at. None of us is where we could be. Truth of the matter, most of us ain't where we should be. God's grace offers us so much that we just take the casual. So today I want to ask you, there's some things in your life that might need some mercy. Is there some things in your life that you're going to have to find grace to find time because you can't fix it yourself? You see, the ultimate expression of pride is that I don't need mercy. I'm all right. I'm self-righteous enough. Next to that, I don't need your help, God. I can fix this. That's the only reason if you ever get a, See, I thank God that he gave me a need this week that I couldn't fix. It seemed they couldn't fix. My wife couldn't fix. All I could do is lay there and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And you know what? He fixed something greater than what I even thought I needed. You know, that's the amazing thing about God. He's wonderful. But we'll sit here today, and there's somebody here this morning who's not saved. You've never truly trusted Jesus for your salvation. You're a good person. You're a religious person. You believe basic truths, but even the demons believe the Word of God. You believe in God. I want to ask you something. Are you in a relationship with God that's based on the truth of you and Him walking together in communion, in a relationship? That's what salvation does. Salvation doesn't get you out of hell and get you to heaven. Salvation gets you from being lost and separated from God without a relationship and it connects you to God and he comes into your life and you begin to have what we call fellowship. And God's real, your God conscience. You wake up with Jesus, you go to bed with Jesus. You try to run from Jesus, you can't get away from him. He comes after you. You're his. You see, once you get saved, you're no longer your own. He purchased you. He bought you with his blood. He redeemed you. He he spent his blood to buy you. But you've got to trust him, not yourself. And when he saves us, yes, we fail him. Yes, we doubt him. But he never, ever gives up on us. And friends, that's what I'm offering the lost man here today, not to get religious, not to join a church, Not to make a religious commitment. Do you want a relationship with the Lord God? Do you want Jesus to come into your life? Because this is what he does. When you truly mean it, he gives you mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He saves you from the condemnation of your just punishment in hell. Eternal separation from God. And he gives you what you don't deserve. He saves you. 
in the process of that, he forgives you of everything you did that you deserve what you get. And he gives you now what you don't deserve. He comes into your life. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. He comes and he begins to work and he begins to give you the favor of his grace and he never leaves you alone. He's there for you. He's interceding for you. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in the presence of God saying, he's mine. I'm going to help him, Father. And he's pleading for you. Ain't that awesome? And even when you're sick, even when you're discouraged, even when life is all in chaos, he's there. That's what salvation is. And for those of us who are saved, you can wander, you can get away, you can get caught up in the trap of I'm okay, I'm religious, I'm doing good things, but look at it. What are you doing about the bad things? Jesus wants to give mercy today, and he wants to give grace. So that's what I'm inviting us to do. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to sing a song. And if you're not really saved, today could be your day. If you'll just come, he's waiting. But some of us might be like me. Thank God that sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a troubled sea. Thank God for a desert to get a hold of me. What's God got to do to get a hold of you? Because he wants you and him to have a true relationship. So if we stand together today, are you where you need to be? Or do you need to come to this throne of grace? Do you need to come and obtain mercy and find favor in the grace of God? Because that's what this is all about. I don't know about y'all, but the one who Jesus said went home from church okay wasn't the Pharisee and everybody else who said, I'm okay, I'm a good guy now. I go to church, I give money. It was the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He went home different. So today... I hope this has been a blessing. Father in heaven, as we prepare to leave this place, before we leave, Lord, the, the most important thing is what's fixing to happen. What are we going to do with what you give us this morning? How are we going to apply this into our life? And are we going to trust it? Are we going to allow it to do what it's put upon our heart to do? Lord, I know there's someone in this room whose heart's been cut and opened bare this morning before you. And they realize that in your presence, Lord, there's things they don't want to be there that can only be covered by your blood. Lord, that person knows they need to be saved. They know they need to put trust in you. Help them to do that today. And for all the rest of us, Lord, we just thank you that you have grace and mercy for us abundantly, that your mercies are new every day. And we give you praise for that. Help us to take advantage of it. In Jesus' name.
nugget was a blessing to you. I hope you'll take it to heart. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's so easy for us to get in our religious routine, going through our everyday things. Did my devotion, check it off. Did my prayer time, check it off. I helped a helpless person today, check it off. I'm doing all my good things and not even be doing it with God. That's what God showed me this week. You're doing a lot of things for me again, Marvin. You get like this from time to time. But I needed to get your attention because you're not doing it with me. And it doesn't impress God when we do things for Him. God wants us to do it with Him. Does that make sense? Because when we're doing it with God, that's the church that will change its community. When we're doing it with God and God is with us, that's how we win souls. Because it's easy to do things for God, but it takes a real relationship, connected with Him and communion with Him, like the branch, the divine, to do things with Him. It's so easy for us to forget every difference. Don't settle for religion. Because He wants you to have a relationship. And it is a big, major difference when you wake up in the morning and Jesus is with you. You're not running from him or you're not trying to hide from him. You're running to him and you're spending time with him in his presence. That's the greatest place you can be on earth. Well, amen. God bless you. I need to shut up. I didn't get to preach last week. If anything good come out of this besides what I just shared with you was that I got Dennis Aaron back. Because he called me a couple times like four hours, five hours before. Hey, can you preach for me? I got you on standby. So this time I beat his record. I, I gave him an hour and a half notice. And so he, uh, I thank God for Brother Dennis and Brother Josh coming last week, filling in. And so uh, that, that cracked me up when I talked to him on the phone. Well, you got me back now. So I know Dennis Aaron good enough to know that. I'm going to show up at Cowboy Church one Thursday and say, you got a word? You preaching. You know, and, and I'll be up there. So anyway, y'all kick me in your prayers. We love y'all. Thank y'all for all your grace and mercy you showed us and just for your prayers. And um, I would never want to be at anywhere else. I'm so thankful to be with y'all as our church family. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the day, for the privilege to be here, to wake up, and come and hear your word and worship you and be in your presence. Lord, as we give back today, bless our offering. Um, continue to help our church. We strive to be in your will and do your work. And more than anything, though, Lord, we want to be in your presence. Lord, we need revival. I think, Lord, you're allowed to happen to me as part of preparing me. And if I really want revival, I can't have things the way it used to be. So, Lord, thank you for opening my eyes. I pray you'll continue to open our eyes so that you can change our hearts. Lord God, thank you that you're a God who works and moves and continues. You never leave us, Lord. You never forsake us. You're with us until the end. So we thank you for that and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.